Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. So here's my question as we launch this series. And here's the interesting thing. Most people have an answer to this question, whether they uh, believe in God, Jesus, you're trying to figure it out. Most people thought about this. But the question is, what was your view of heaven growing up? Like, what, what do you think about? Even if you're not sure, you're like, well, if there is a heaven, this is what I think or what I've been told. Um, it's interesting that the majority of Americans, even now, like 2023, actually believe that there's some kind of afterlife or some kind of heaven, but the views are all over the place. So for you, what was your view of heaven or what do you feel like you were taught growing up? Like for a lot of us, it's kind of this mix between um, really over the top angels uh, that Christians have marketed beautifully over the last several decades, um, or it's, you know, this idea of gold streets and the hyperbole of gold mansions, um, a bunch of other stuff that, and maybe you don't know this, in a lot of cases, it is a conglomeration of pop culture that has actually kind of come together to, to inform your view of heaven, and it's all over the place. I mean, there's been tons of songs written, um, some of the most popular, like Knocking on Heaven's Door by Guns N' Roses, um, Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin, Trying not to end up on ACDC's Highway to Hell. Like, it's all over the place. And it's informed your view. Like, some of us really have no idea because we're so confused. Some of you are so terrified. You're like, is it, does it look like Beetlejuice? Is it some, like, what is it? I don't even know what to think. But here's what um, my hunch is. I think it's pretty true talking to a lot of people and some of my own experience is a lot of our views of heaven are completely uninspiring. In fact, some of them are just absolutely ridiculous. Um, and if we were to kind of like go back to where all of it came from, again, it's all over the place. Um, and in some cases, it's almost traumatizing and terrifying. So just to give you a little bit of um, backstory, I grew up a pastor's kid. My dad's a pastor on our staff still and um, had a great home, but I was, and this is probably my fault, but growing up, I was terrified of heaven, like was not looking forward to it, kind of traumatized um, by it. And this will give you a little bit of insight into my six-year-old trauma being a pastor's kid. And that just comes with the territory. It's why all four of my kids uh, will have in counseling as soon as we're able to, like there's just baggage that comes with it. So as a six-year-old, I was part of five kids. I was the fourth of five. Um, we had a 16 passenger van that was like our family van. And we weren't even homeschoolers, but we had a big van and that was uncalled for. So I apologize if you're in here, but we had a big van. It also doubled as the church van because we had a little Baptist church, which was disgusting. So we all piled in the van. There's five kids. My two grandparents were down. We were gonna go to lunch after church. And so for some reason, my dad had to stop by the house. So he pulls in the driveway, gets whatever he needs to get, gets back in, and they start heading for the restaurant. And you, know, you can judge this, but if you have you know, a lot of kids, um, and so I don't know what that benchmark is. For us, it's four. That's a lot. Um, you've lost a kid for you know, momentarily a few times. That's, that's fine. There's a lot of grace for that. You pull out of the driveway, we're missing a kid. So like you go get the kid, that happened, but you would think 
Within five minutes, 10 minutes, they would recognize they're missing an entire human being that's a part of their family. And they don't. And they drive about 20 minutes across town, pull into the restaurant. And again, that's a good time to recognize someone we birthed is not in the van. But if you're the fourth of five kids, nobody ever knows what you're doing. Nobody ever knows where you're at. They barely know you're a part of the family. So they, they get out, they start to head into the restaurant and recognize, finally realize that our six-year-old kid is not with us. And so my parents jump back into the van and the way they tell it, I mean, they're like, you know, getting air going across intersections. They drive as fast, the 20 minutes became 10 minutes on the ride back. They pull into the driveway as fast as they can and only to see me, and this is a core memory indelibly etched in my mind, just so you know. I'm at the front window, hands planted on the window along with my face, tears running down my face and the window, wondering what happened to my family. But this is the insight into what it's like to be a six-year-old pastor's kid. Of all of the conclusions that I could have come to about why my family's not there, the only conclusion I could come to when I realized that the house was quiet and none of the people in my family were there is that the rapture had happened and I got left behind. And that's a true story. And there's no left behind movies at that point. That was just the trauma that had been created in me. And then the other super confusing thing was, again, even as a six-year-old, I was thinking, of all the people in my family to get left behind, there's no way it was me. No way. And there I was, man, and I'll never forget that. But in all seriousness, like my view of heaven, or that's the whole Christian teaching of one day Jesus is gonna come back if all this is new to you, was like, it was just traumatizing. It was, it was scary. It was, you know, it's better than the alternative, but I'm not looking forward to it. And for a lot of you, even at like, not six, but 60, or somewhere in between, or wherever you're at, they're, they're still like, what, what is it? Can we even know? That's a lot of what you hear. We can't really know, so just kind of move on to other things. So here's a lot of the, the popular kind of uh, teaching around heaven. This is maybe some of what you think or thought or somebody told you. Um, this is just rapid fire. That it's not like earth at all. That it's strange and unrecognizable. And this is just maybe personal thing. Anything that's unknown to me or weird to me, I don't look forward to. It is a disembodied existence. Everything that I currently love is left behind. So this is the idea of, and you've heard this, like there's, it's gonna be amazing. We have no idea how it's gonna be amazing, but just by faith, everything that I know right now is not gonna be there that I think is amazing, but there's some kind of more amazing stuff. There's no time and space. There's no learning or discovery. So if you're dating somebody, your spouse, they just kind of know it all, maybe they're just practicing for heaven according to your theology. Um, there's no meaningful work. So if your job is terrible right now, you're like, well, that sounds like heaven. For a lot of other people, like, what am I gonna do? Um, there's no meaningful, there's no desires or pleasures as I know them. So your love for Tex-Mex, you kiss that goodbye. There's no memory of who I am now. So it's like, I know that like this is life and that's gonna be some kind of semblance of life, but the two are kind of disconnected. There's not gonna be any kind of memory. It's maybe gonna be a version of like the Men in Black movies. All of it will just be white and I won't remember anything. It's just kind of this completely different existence. Um, there's no continuation of relationships. The kind of like what I do now in relationships, that's great, but it's gonna look completely different in heaven. Um, and then this is, I think, where a lot of people are. It's just gonna be a boring church service. No offense, right? Like, that's, that's just kind of what I expect it to be. So here's my question for us, for you. 
Why in the world would you look forward to that? Why in the world would you be inspired by that? Why, I mean, other than Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, like, well, there's a Jesus thing, but other than that, why in the world would that move you, motivate you, inspire you? And here's the really great news that I'm gonna try to unpack as best I can. None of that is true. And so for the next couple weeks, and specifically in what we're gonna talk about today in setting up this message, I wanna talk about, at least for some of you, maybe not all of you on radio, you're podcasting, you're watching somewhere, and you're just, you're barely investigating. You don't even know if you believe all of this. And I love that you're leaning in. That I, that I wanna to talk to you about maybe what you weren't told about heaven. Now, here's the thing, maybe surprisingly. To have this discussion, you have to actually rewind and go all the way back to the beginning in terms of like, if you have a Bible, which is a library of documents, all the way back to Genesis, that kind of tells the story of how God got all of this started or that God got all of this started. And from the very beginning in Genesis, and this will connect later, God created all things. And in fact, God actually created the life that we know in the Garden of Eden, meaning it was made up of human beings. It was made up of relationships. It was made up of art. It was made up of creativity. I mean, think about the fact that Adam had to name all of the animals, which I feel you can kind of tell. There's certain ones at the end of a long day, he's like, uh, aardvark, I'm just putting letters together. You know, but creativity, art, nature, wildlife, building, growing, ingenuity, like all of that happened. In fact, it's really interesting that work was not a product of the fall. That was a part of God's original perfect design in the Garden of Eden. But all of the things that you kind of connect to and that you know, in terms of just life, creativity, culture, art, work, relationships, all of those were present in the Garden of Eden. And in fact, it was life as we know it, but perfect. And this is so important to our discussion in this message. But the basic components of life as we know it was birthed in the Garden of Eden, which is very important. In fact, God got done with creating everything. And in Genesis 1.31, it says that God basically sat back, put his feet up, and said, now actually, before I quote this, if you're a skeptic, and I have so many friends that attend or watch at a distance online, and every time I reference Genesis, it's a massive obstacle to you, so I get that. So let me just say this in terms of the first part of Genesis that doesn't get enough airplay. Genesis' point is that God created and manufactured all things. Genesis' point is not how God created all things. So this is not a science discussion because maybe very surprisingly to some of you, Genesis' primary, primary purpose was not a scientific textbook. It was the story of what God did. And so in Genesis 1.31, it says that God looked over all that he had made, all that he created. God was the manufacturer and the originator of all of it, however he did it. And he saw that it was what? Very good. Basically, God going, this is my design, this is my vision, this is my vision for life, for how to live life, for culture, for all of creation, and it is good. And here's the thing, all of our images in terms of heaven that are disconnected from what we know, that are disconnected from what we kind of understand in this life, are disconnected from anything that we have a framework for, actually appear uninspiring and unattractive. And for a lot of us, something that we just, we feel left in the dark and it's not something that we actually look forward to. And the reality is like, we don't want the hell of this life. None of us. 
But we also don't want a lot of the versions of heaven that we've been given. And for a lot of you, this is a bold statement, but I'm just gonna say it anyway. The version of heaven that many of us were taught doesn't exist. And it's been pieced together and it's been referenced with no real biblical anchor to any of it. And so it's why we kind of either don't talk about the subject or approach the subject with, with kind of disinterest and, well, I just need to have faith that it's gonna be great, but I don't see how. So Solomon comes along. And he basically explains that feeling for all of us in Ecclesiastes 3.11. Solomon, just real quick, um, he was basically given this task by God of I want you to pursue everything you possibly can. I'm gonna give you all wealth, all knowledge. I'm gonna have you create things, build things, discover things. You're gonna have you know, more relationships than you can imagine. You're gonna drink more wine than you can even think of and none of the box stuff. It's gonna be all the best. You're gonna build an empire. I mean, all of that. And then the task was, Solomon, when you get to the end of that, I wanna see if those things produce what you think they're gonna produce. And basically Solomon gets to the end of all of it, every relationship he could want, all the money he could want, all of the accolades and recognition he could want, and he gets to the end and Solomon's conclusion was all of it overpromised and underdelivered. None of it was what I thought. And then he says this, this is a brilliant statement that explains something for all of us. He says that he, God, has planted, what's the word? Help me out. Has planted, let's do it one more time. Planted what? Eternity. In the human heart. All that means is this. Eternity in the human heart is you desire what God created in the Garden of Eden. You don't even know it. There's this thing inside of you that desires what God originally manufactured. That the Garden of Eden, this is so important to what we're talking about. The Garden of Eden was God's forever plan for all of humanity. That it was God's vision, God's design for all all of creation, which gives us a ton of clues and interpretation of the rest of scripture that this is what God originally intended. And the, 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 the ache inside of us that, that Solomon would describe as this thing that longs for more, it is eternity in the human heart. And I think every single individual feels that whether you acknowledge that that's from God or not. Because that's that thing inside of you. Even if you don't believe that there's sin, even if you're not sure that there's a God, here's what I guarantee almost all of you have experienced. There has been an, a moment in your life where you have looked at something personally or globally and thought, it should not be that way. My kid should not have to walk through that. Nobody should have to endure that kind of diagnosis. Nobody should have to deal with the pain of early loss. Nobody should, ha should be treated like this. You look globally and go, nations shouldn't treat each other like that. There shouldn't be genocide. There, like the Babies shouldn't suffer. You've looked at things personally and globally and thought, this is not how it should work. And you don't even have a basis for morality or believe that there's a God. You just know it shouldn't be that way. Or there's this thing inside of you on the positive side where you experience something and you think, why can't life be like that all the time? Why can't I experience that all the time? That's eternity placed in the human heart, whether you acknowledge God or not. And every once in a while, you get a glimpse in the midst of this broken world that God has more and that what God created was good. Like at a real practical level, man, like in college, you have one of those nights with friends where you're hanging out and you just know you're gonna remember that forever. Like it was good. Not one of the nights where it's like, it's ended up somebody needed bail. I'm talking about a positive memory for some of you. I'm talking about those moments where you're sitting on a beach and you're staring at a sunset 
or whatever moves you, you're staring at some kind of beauty that just does something inside of you that doesn't happen on a normal Tuesday at work or every once in a while, maybe for some of you, your first child and you had your first child and you experienced emotions inside of it that you didn't even know you had and you can't really articulate. It's those experiences of you're with really good friends drinking really good wine and you don't want the night to end. It's the experience of you build a business, you get a project across the finish line, you're proud of your work, like all of those good things. We get glimpses every once in a while where it's just a, it's a moment, it's a season of our life and like, man, this is gonna mark me, like this, this thing, this accomplishment. It's like hanging out with really close family and recognizing that that's gonna be a snap, snapshot that you'll remember probably till you die. I mean, on a, just a lighter note, I mean, you're eating a burrito and you are drinking a beer and you're thinking, God is so good. <laughs> Serious. And, but we never connect those things to God. But you get to the end of those experiences and those seasons and you think, I don't want this day to end. I don't want this feeling to go away. I don't want this night to be over. You had no idea that was the marks of God in your soul. That is what Solomon would describe. It is eternity in your heart that longs for something more. That you, this is crazy, you were actually created for that. You were created for those moments at a level we can't even imagine in fellowship with God, but those are actually the marks of God on you. The, the way I would describe it, it is a GPS system inside of you. Every time you feel that nudge to go, this is not what I've been created for. I've been created for God's original design in the, the Garden of Eden, where all of this is untainted by sin and is absolutely perfect. That's what you have been created for. And Solomon would say that's in your heart whether you realize it or not and all of you have experienced it. That's your longing for home. That's actually your longing for heaven. At the end of the verse, he says this, that, that he's planted eternity in the human heart, but people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Just meaning we don't often connect the dots, but here's the reality that what God started, God's gonna finish. And what God began, God's gonna bring to culmination. Because God, and we'll look at this more next week, is not a God where he scraps his original plan or design. He is a God that redeems all things. And so here's the thing, this is, this is a big idea. This is what I think first century followers of Jesus understood, that heaven is not an escape from our life on earth. It actually ultimately will be a redemption of our life on earth. The scripture talks about, I'm gonna go quick on this and I'll, I'll deal with it a little bit more next week, I think, but, but the scripture actually talks about that there is a temporary heaven and there is an eternal heaven. But there is so much in terms of the connection and the similarities of those that we've lost and we've made tons of assumptions that are not in the scripture. There is a temporary heaven, there is an eternal heaven, but in all of those, God's original design and God's original creation still holds true. Like it's really interesting that we were created equally as physical and spiritual beings. This is so interesting. In Genesis chapter two, verse seven, regardless of what you think about Genesis, if God, when God created, manufactured human beings, however he did that, in that moment, the Hebrew word nephesh, that Adam did not become a living being until he was both soul, spirit, and what? Body that God did not declare him a living human being at the moment, well, he's, you know, he's spiritual, he's soul, he's spirit, so we're good to go, right? Because that's how, you know, ultimately we're gonna end up in heaven or at least part of heaven. No, no, no. God's original design 
This is actually a thinking that came from Gnosticism hundreds and thousands and thousands of years later. But the idea was that body, soul, and spirit is what characterizes our existence. And it was God's vision from the very beginning. And we are actually not who God created us to be if any of those things are separated. This is why Jesus talked about preparing a physical place, not an ethereal, non-physical world, because it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In fact, in Hebrews, I don't have time to go over all the verses, but in Hebrews 11, chapter 13, and later on in chapter 11, the author of Hebrews talks about heaven as a city and as a country. What characterizes a city and a country? Art, work, friends, culture, life, probably coffee, like all the things that we think about when we think about a city growing producing systems, beauty. Like here's the thing that you you have to understand as you interpret the scripture. Much of what we experience in terms of life and enjoyment of life and the things that, that we understand we can connect to come through our senses. And God created us with those. That was all the way back to Adam and Eve. And we were full human beings when we had soul, spirit, body, senses to enjoy life. But much of our views of heaven are somehow disconnected from our senses, disconnected from the physical, disconnected from everything that we know. And yet that's not what scripture teaches. In fact, here's a a shotgun kind of rapid fire list of of some of the things in scripture that I just wanted to give to you that I don't have time to read all the verses, but, but here's the reality of what you find in all of scripture with kind of that context and that basis of what God originally created us for, that we have a body. I believe even in, our, in the temporary state, temporary heaven, and there will be resurrected bodies long-term, and that's a whole nother discussion, but we were never designed or created to live any existence apart from body, soul, and spirit. We have a body, we have purpose and meaningful work. We will learn and grow intellectually. We have freedom from dysfunction. Then we talk about this life at its best, we're talking about no dysfunction, no evil, no sin, none of the hell of this life that we're walking through. That we have memories, that this isn't something where it's just like everything is disconnected from this life and then I'm gonna start a new life. In fact, even the events of this life, we will have awareness, but all of them will be from a completely different perspective, a completely different mindset. The scripture talks all about that. Right now, we see in part. Eventually, we will see as a whole, but this life is not disconnected from the life that God has for us for all of eternity. We will create art. We will have continuation of relationships. We'll talk about this later, which means that your investments and relationships in this life will not just matter for this life. We will experience pleasure. We will have animals. That's big for some of us. We will eat, we will drink, we will party. Like all of those things are representative of not just eternal heaven, but temporary heaven. And the scripture teaches that eventually the temporary heaven will come down to earth and it will create God's plan and original design in all of its glory. Perfect creation, untainted by sin. But the reality is that what God created, what many of us know, is what God wants us to look forward to, but in absolute perfect, untainted beauty. And when you separate heaven from the physical, you actually lose everything you know. You actually lose, listen to me for a second, everything that you were created for, 
And what we have lost sight of in 2023, because we never teach on this or talk about it, is you actually lose your hope. Because this was the driving force for first century followers of Jesus who did things we can't even imagine because they believed in the reality that there was something better and something to look forward to. And it wasn't just a by faith, we have no idea what it is, but it was anchored in God created this, God is gonna restore this, we're looking forward to this. And it changed the way they lived, it drove their relationships, it drove how they conducted their life and decision because your view of heaven ultimately will determine how you live your life on earth. And when it's disconnected, you actually lose your hope. Here's what Paul said in Romans 8, 24, that we were actually given this hope, this anchor when we're saved. That if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, which is so important, because I've, I've heard and I've read often, well, you, do, you just can't really know anything about heaven. But you should take another run of the scriptures. And if you can't, then literally all of the scriptures in the New Testament about knowing and finding hope and knowing would be lost. You would literally lose the hope and the inspiration that God has put before us. So we must wait patiently and confidently. In Jesus' final moments, this is actually what he was pointing for, toward. In Jesus' final moments, this is actually what he was thinking about and demonstrating because in his final moments, many of you maybe know the story, but he goes willfully to a cross under Roman crucifixion and he ends up ultimately being hung between two legit criminals. And the reason that he willfully, without blinking, like I'm gonna do this even though it's crazy and messiahs and sons of God, you wouldn't think die, but it was his means to rescuing the human race. And he goes to the cross because he recognized that not only does our best days not happen on repeat, like that thing in us that goes, I wish this wouldn't end. I wish there was more of this in my life. I wish I experienced more of these days that I don't wanna end. Not only does that not happen, a lot of times we're walking through absolute hell. And Jesus on the cross understood that. And he's on the cross, Paul would later describe kind of what that thing is or that dynamic is when he said this in Romans 5, 12, that just as sin entered the world through one man, talking about Adam, and death through sin, just pause for a second, like this is the thing about sin, I don't know if you believe in sin, you're still trying to figure that out, I totally get it, but this is that thing inside of you that goes, this is not how it should be. This is that thing inside of you where you actually fall short of your own standards and you don't attribute that to sin or God, but the thing you have to ask yourself is what moral standard are you basing that off of that you are falling short because what's falling short? What's the standard? Who says the standard? But that thing that just goes, man, something is not right about my life, about this world, about this situation. And Paul said that, that's sin and sin leads to death and just at a street level, sin always kills stuff. Like there's spiritual death, there's physical death, but where you see sin, it kills health, it kills relationships, it kills dreams, it kills reputations. It's the reason for disease and divorce and death and broken systems and kids who are off the rails and cancer and not necessarily the result of your sin, but just the global sin of the human race. And Paul's like, sin always leads to death. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And here's the reality of it. Like every single individual is born on the human race inherited sin. And that's unfair, but it's true. Yeah. And here's the thing, something can be unfair and it can be true at the same time. Yeah. That God put one rule in the garden, his perfect creation, to show that submission to God was good, 
their relationship with God was good and they couldn't do it, they couldn't hold up under it. And so in the Garden of Eden, sin invaded, it destroyed God's vision of a perfect creation and then death actually ruled over all things. Which means everything, everything is tainted by sin. Every relationship, every business, no matter how legit you think it is, every church, every system, every government, every nation, at, at some level, everything is broken, we're broken, and everything we create is broken. Welcome to church. And come on, but isn't it true? Like every once in a while, you just live in life and you're like, man, this one area of your life is so good. It's so like, man, why, why can't this happen all the time? Why can't I experience this all the time? And simultaneously, while you're going, this is so good, you have this area that just sucks. Like it is so hard because even in just everyday life, like it can be good, it can be hard, sometimes simultaneously good and hard because even in a broken, sin-infested world, there are constantly marks of God's original design and purpose. It is eternity set in the human heart. And Jesus in his final moments on the cross, I love this, it's often missed. He makes clear that he is providing a way back. And he makes clear that he is doing what he's doing in his substitutionary death to provide a way back and to fulfill eternity in our hearts and return us to what originally he envisioned for all of creation and for all of humanity. And maybe you know the story, he's led up, he's nailed to a cross, he's being crucified under the, really they considered it an art of Roman crucifixion between two legit criminals, like they deserve to die. And there's this moment on the cross where one of the criminals, Luke 22, 39, hanging beside Jesus scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God or even, even when you've been sentenced to die? Like basically, you should probably be in a situation right now, there was a bit of humility. You know? He's like, don't, don't you have any, any kind of fear of God? And then verse 41, this one criminal says really what could be echoed over all of humanity for all time, verse 41, we deserve to die for our crimes. Basically, like th this, is, this is kind of what the scripture teaches. In, in essence, every injustice, and the problem is we rate injustices. Like our injustice, never that bad. There's always other greater injustices. But the reality is the human level, all injustice needs some kind of reconciliation. All injustices need to be handled. And he's on the cross going, we deserve to die for our crimes because injustice deserves payment. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. I'm talking about Jesus. And I love this. And then verse 42, then he said, Jesus, remember me. Like what nerve, number one. Like we always airbrush these stories. Are you serious, man? Remember me. For what? Like you deserve to be here. Like you're dying for your own decisions, but this guy is bold enough to go, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I love this, verse 43. And Jesus replied, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. And I just wanna stop before I explain this verse to say how unbelievable is Jesus' grace. Hey, how long have you followed Jesus? About three minutes. After living my life basically giving God the finger, I'm dying on this cross for a reason. 
And then I have the nerve to call out to the savior of the world in my final three minutes after living my life that way to go, I believe, can somehow you rescue me? And his response to me is today, you are going to be with me in paradise. And I just wanna tell you, and this should, this should do something to your soul if you somehow felt you were too far gone or you've walked too far away in terms of relationship with God, is that God's grace is inexhaustible and it never runs out. And you turn to him, even if you're at three minutes, countdown and it's all over and you have lived your life in rebellion to him, you will not outrun his grace. But here's the cool thing about this verse. Jesus replied, I assure you, because of your in the final seconds, belief, trust in me, you will be with me today. Greek word was ultimately used in the Septuagint when the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Koine Greek. Hebrew word, Paradosis. That in this moment, Jesus was pointing to what he had originally created, what he's designed us for, where ultimately we'll end up. Because that word translated literally means today you will be with me in the Garden of Eden. Because you were created for Eden, and I have provided a way back. And in this moment, he is taking on him, his body, the sins of the entire world. And he's pointing to the fact that his vision is gonna be fulfilled. And in a few moments, he would say, it is finished, which, which means what I started, I'm going to complete. This is my plan for all of creation and all of humanity. And then a few hours later, maybe you know the story. Or actually a few days later, three days later, he would walk out of the grave alive. And three days later, when he rose from the dead, it validated everything that he said. Paul later would come along and say this, for if the dead are not raised, this is an important verse, and Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is what? A little, little bit more. Your faith is what? I mean, it means nothing. I, we talk about this all the time. The, the Christian teaching, which is what many of you got, was not just have faith in faith. You have questions, doubts, just believe, just have faith. Well, that doesn't help me. I'm lacking faith. I'm lacking belief. The Christian approach to faith that Jesus taught was faith, biblical faith always needs evidence. Biblical faith always needs to be anchored to something. It still requires faith, but it's faith in something tangible. And in history, Jesus rose from the dead, which is why Paul writes throughout the New Testament that we could know that we're having faith in the fact that if a guy can predict his own death and resurrection and walk up out of a grave three days later, he's gonna do everything that he promised to do. That's the basis of our faith. And so Paul's like, if there's no resurrection, there's no hope and you're still in your sins. Because our hope in heaven, our vision for heaven is not because we're trying to muster up something just to make this life more tolerable, to comfort ourselves when we're rocked by death. Our hope in heaven exists because of Jesus' resurrection. And because of the fact that he lived and died, predicted and then rose from the dead and anchored in history is the reason that we have hope. And then Later on, John would write that because he rose from the dead, his invitation of eternal life matters. When John writes this, I tell you the truth, that those who listen to my message, like what I've done in history, and believe in the God who sent me, have eternal life, and they will never be condemned for their sins because Jesus was already condemned for their sins at the cross. 
and they have already passed from death into life. Meaning, all throughout the New Testament, the invitation of eternal life is not just life beyond this life or life when we die, that the invitation of eternal life, when we receive it to believe that Jesus came and lived a perfect life that we couldn't, got it right 100% of the time, and then died the death we should have died for all injustice, including our own past, present, and future on the cross. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, which validated everything that he said, that in that moment, the offer of eternal life to go, your belief, your trust in what God has done not only gives you forgiveness, it gives you life. And that eternal life starts the moment you receive it. And it lasts for all of eternity. And it's where your hope begins. And it's not an ethereal hope. It's not a non-physical hope. It's not a hope that is disconnected from everything that you know. God, from the very beginning, made clear to all of humanity, this is my vision for creation. This is my vision for you. This is what ultimately I have for you. I want you to look forward to the day where you will experience this life at its best, but free of sin, free of dysfunction where eternity in your heart will be fulfilled, where you desire there has got to be more, your best days on repeat. And God says to you, that day is coming. This is why in the New Testament, I think first century followers of Jesus, you look at their life because this teaching was so fresh to them. Like they lived in such a way that they were inspiring. We talk about it a lot around here. They were fearless. They weren't afraid of death. They were experiencing things we can't even imagine and they had a lack of things that we can't even imagine. Their life was so different and yet there was such a a freedom and untethering to this world. They were fearless, they were bold, they didn't even fear death. And the reason for that is because this was so clear in their minds that this is not all there is. And that heaven ultimately is not an escape from this life on earth. It will be God's redemption of this life on earth. God returning us to what ultimately we were created for. And because this teaching has lost its way in terms of front and center for the church, we're not really inspired in terms of relationships and decisions in life. And the fact that what we do now matters forever. So it's why the author of Colossians said, listen, here's what I want you to do. Set your hearts, that thing inside of you, eternity in your heart, that longing for more, that longing says it shouldn't be this way. That desire to like, when you experience those moments and seasons to go, why can't it be more like this? The author of Colossians says, set that feeling, that eternity in your heart on things above, that there is something that longs for your best days on repeat and it is coming because you serve a resurrected savior. And if all of that is true, I don't know what you're walking through right now. I don't know what your questions are. I don't know how this hits you. I don't know what this last season has looked like, but here's what it means for every single one of us. This is true. If Jesus did what he said, if it validated everything he said, it means that whatever you're walking through right now in your effort to follow Jesus, it is worth it. It means that one day Jesus is gonna do exactly what Jesus said he was gonna do and he's going to restore all things. It means that one day Jesus is gonna wipe away every single tear from every single eye. It means that one day at just the right time, Jesus is gonna handle injustice 
and he is gonna make evil bow down to him as a resurrected and reigning king and he will make all wrongs right. And it means in your effort to follow Jesus and walking through whatever you're walking through right now, if that's true, if there really is something up ahead that's not a replacement of this life, but it's this life at its best, free of sin, it means that whatever you've missed out on now, it means you haven't. It means that whatever you've sacrificed now in terms of your journey of following Jesus and living this life different, it means that every single one of those things will be repaid. It means the answer to the question of, why don't I just get heaven when I die, live this life however I want, like, you know, carpe diem this moment, because, you know, that's still gonna happen. And I believe in Jesus, but I'm gonna kind of do my thing for this 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Like, why would I live differently? Because it's worth it. And one day, Jesus is gonna repay every sacrifice. We'll look at it next week, that you will not miss a thing. You will experience this life at its best and God will fulfill eternity in your hearts in ways that you can't even imagine. And whatever you're walking through, there is hope that there is something better. There is something to look forward to. And last thing for others of us, like, this is over the next couple of weeks why I think it's worthy of you. You've got a ton of skepticism. You're not sure if you believe in any of this. This is why you should doubt your doubts and this is why you should at least lean in. That if Jesus did this, it's worth your consideration because this life is the only life that you get to embrace eternal life. And God through Jesus has provided a way back and he is inviting you in. Would you guys stand with me? all over the house. And if you want online and via radio right now, you can pray with me. Jesus, I thank you so much for what you're doing in this moment. And I have no idea how this hits. So many different stories, so many different situations, so many different questions, tons of doubt. I have no idea what any individual is walking through right now. But God, I pray that in the way that only you can, by the power of your spirit, that you would make this so personal. And Lord, I pray that for some of us, for the first time in a long time, that we would lift our heads up and that we would take that feeling of eternity in our heart, that desire and longing for more. And rather than allowing it to terminate on this life, that we would lift our heads to you, a resurrected savior, that has done it, has accomplished it. And one day what he started, he's gonna finish. The alpha and omega that one day what he originated, he's gonna bring to full completion. And that God, we were created for more. And I pray for some, this is the hope that they need literally in this moment. That you would just give them the confidence because of what you've done in history. It's worth it. And I pray this in Jesus' incredible name. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.